Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One day... All of the facts in about 30 years' time will be published. When genocide has been carried out in this country almost with impunity, and when it is near to completion, people talk about intervention. You don't get freedom peacefully. Freedom is never uh, think God it peacefully. Anyone who is depriving you of freedom isn't deserving of an of a peaceful approach. Jason, I was telling okay. Kevin before yes. we started that that this is going to be a loose episode. Um, so to describe for the audience what's going on right now, Kevin Nodell, Jason Fields, both here, all three all three Angry Planet boys in the room, uh, a rare mm-hmm. appearance. Uh, Kevin is showing us his South Korean shipping. Uh, oh, this is, this, is, this is, I mean, no, that, here, here's aircraft. Uh, here's they look jet, like here's They look like catalogs. They are. Okay, so it's like, hey, would you like to buy? Would you like to buy a frigate? Right. These are the frigates we have available. That that is what these are. Um, You know, I'm not really the target audience, but I did see the room. Um, So this was these were aboard the uh, South Korea's training crews that um, their their Navy's crazy training crews that that came to Honolulu uh, this this summer um, or. I guess fall rather fall. I don't know. It last last year is, is, is a blur, but they, they were at the end of the tour of the ship. Um, the, the ship, the ship was their new training crews to, to train their, their midshipmen, but it made a bunch of ship stops and in, in places other than, um, other than Hawaii, a bunch of countries all around the region. And I'm pretty sure the audience was actually their, their military counterparts in those other parts of the world to show them that they've got a defense industry and they're ready for business. Well, they're one of the largest manufacturers of ships in the world, right? South Correct. Korea? Definitely. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I guess we can just get, Oh yeah, this is, we're doing it. Like we're doing it. This is, this is the episode. This is happening. I, I have a suggestion. Yeah. Okay. Instead of the littoral combat ship, could we buy something from Korea? Because that's a piece um, of shit. You know, that's a that that's an excellent question, and I, I'm sure uh, 
the the Koreans would love to sell us something. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have no doubt. Um, Whether they're I, I, do they have do they have littoral uh, ships of some kind? I'm sure you probably don't actually know the answer to that off the top of your no, head. No, but I love, let, 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 let me browse real quickly to see see what they are selling I there. Love I'm, it. Sure, I'm sure they have something kind of like that. They they definitely have. I'm sure that there there's some riverine type. Close I love to imagine yeah. like a southern senator in that room. Can you tell me about your littoral options? <laughs> well, I so so what we can say. I, I think before we frame why we're talking about Korea, right. which we should probably do. After we should this. probably do that. Um, yes. Yeah, we should we reorient. But um, the Cato Institute actually would like the U.S. to buy more um, more Korean. Korean um, commercial vessels because we have kind of a shortfall in terms of vessels that we have available to us. Um, And it is true that um, they tend to have higher environmental standards and uh, their shipyards seem to be running a little bit better than ours. I I mean, I don't think it's really a secret that uh, the U S shipbuilding industry is, has seen better days. Um, And for the Korean shipbuilding industry, it's kind of in its heyday right now. You know, they they build a lot of ships, commercial and increasingly military. There's geographic reasons for that, but we're going to put a pin in that question. Um, so, yeah, we're going to welcome to Angry Planet. I'm Matthew Galt. As I said, we've got Kevin Nodell, Jason Fields here. Uh, Kevin's been wanting to do an episode about Korea for a long time. Uh, he lives in Hawaii and recently right near Korea, basically. Right. Uh, uh, and you recently returned from when were you in? You were there, right? Recently. Yeah, I was in Korea in September, um, but but had a bunch of interactions with the Korean government out here in Hawaii, which we'll get into. Um, the, the, the Hawaii connection is not not for nothing. Well, I mean, that begs the question. Uh, why is the Korean government hanging out in Hawaii? Well, okay. Um, explanation of that before before we get into why, why I was there, which I, I I think does kind of fit together well. Um, first of all, U.S. Indo-Pacific Command is um, based here in Hawaii, and um, you know they, they've got a consulate out here, but it, their consulate also has a military attaché office because the military decision makers for this region happen to be out here. You know, we 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 think of the Pentagon as the center of where everything happens and to some degree that's true but um theater commanders actually do have a lot of leeway and a lot of decision making and really are kind of the point people in in building relationships around the region and unlike um you know centcom which is out in florida um pacific indo-pacific command is actually in the pacific and in kind of a lot closer to the people who they're actually talking to. So they're, they're more than happy to come visit here and more than happy to have uh, American officials visit them. Um, But, but there's also kind of an interesting um, history that, you know, goes back to what we're coming up. I think actually, I think it's the hundredth anniversary this year is the hundredth anniversary of, Korean immigration to the United States. The first place that Korean immigrants arrived uh, was in Hawaii. Um, you know, you have kind of the occupation of of the Korean Peninsula by Japan. I, in fact, I, I think I got that wrong. I think it's 120th anniversary. So, like, 
longer than that. But um, you, you had these exiles, uh, people who had fled uh, Japanese colonial rule. And, um, you, you know, there, there were a lot of these exiles kind of in different places. Um, Hawaii was one hub of them. Um, Shanghai was another. Um, but the first president of what is now considered the Republic of Korea or South Korea, as, as we tend to say, say it, is was Sigmund Rhee, who was um, – an exile and Honolulu entrepreneur who, you know, went to South Korea from Honolulu. And also after he was exiled um, again, when he was overthrown, returned to Honolulu and died here. <laughs> so there's, there, there is a pretty deep connection between Hawaii specifically and, um, and Korea. All right. Tell me about your trip. Yeah, so um, I was I went to Korea as part of a journalist exchange. Uh, it was six American journalists um, going to Seoul um, and going to a few other places, and six Korean journalists going to DC. And it was hosted by the East West Center um, at uh, University of Hawaii. Um, I had not. This trip had been scheduled to happen in 2020, and we know how everything that. Um, was supposed to happen in 2020 went. Um, Korea had pretty strict border regulations on, you know, who could come in and, and, you know, how long you could quarantine. But this year they started to kind of dial back some of those restrictions. So it was decided that we could go ahead and do that. I, I say we as if I was signed up for the program. I wasn't actually. What happened was while I was covering RIMPAC out here, uh, which also might be relevant in this discussion because Korea was very involved in um, RIMPAC this last year, um, I, I got a call from the East West Center saying that they were having this program. Um, basically, the conversation started with, hey, do you want to go to Korea? Um, and I, I was told that they were doing this exchange and one of the American journalists had kind of dropped out at the last minute. So there was a vacancy. And um, I said yes. Um, and it turned out that I was going with um, a bunch of, you know, the, there there was um, the, the opinion editor of the New York Times, um, Time Magazine's national, course, national security correspondent, um, producer uh, Nate L Dateline NBC, someone from CNN International, um, a really impressive investigative journalist out of uh, Wisconsin. Uh, so a lot of highly, highly um, accomplished journalists and me um, were going to Korea to do this and have discussions with some kind of some some fairly high level um, Korean officials. You know, we we talked to the head of their national assembly, so basically. Uh, their version of Congress. Uh, we we talked to, you know, various people, um, some of which I probably shouldn't say because those, those were um, off the record discussions. Uh, but but some fairly senior people uh, who are who are all over um, trade and um, security decision making and diplomatic decision making and um, got to see some really interesting things what was kind of top of mind there for them for the koreans honestly the thing that they most wanted to talk about was the inflation reduction act um and, really uh, yes uh everybody wanted to talk to us about that because they are pissed about the inflation reduction act 
about um, in, in particularly um, the tax credit for electric vehicles that is only applicable to American built electric vehicles. Um, part of the reason for this, so we may or may not know this, um, you know, Tesla is the number one uh, EV on the market in the US. Number two is Kia. Um, so they're, they're a big part of the, this shift or, or whatever kind of shift that we kind of have. Um, and not too long before this, um, you know, Kia is a sub, sub, subsidiary of, of Hyundai. Um, they, so Biden was visiting, uh, Korea not long before this and had meetings and they, and they made a big announcement about how. Hyundai was going to make investments in the U.S., was going to build factories and was going to be, you know, you know agreed to this really big thing, um, which which will be which potentially will employ a lot of Americans and build a lot of electric vehicles. But that's a few years out. And uh, so they're so the Korean market is not going to benefit from these tax credits, uh, not for not for some time. And. It, it it just there was hardly a room that we were ever in where somebody didn't bring this up to us. Um, it, it it was it was a major thing, and I think still is because because even out here, um, I had a conversation with a Korean diplomat out in Hawaii, I sometime in December, I think it was, uh, where this came up again. Um, so that, 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 that was the biggest thing. I, I assume that then the biggest national security concern is uh, neighbor to the north constantly testing missiles and rockets, right? It is sort of. Sort of. Um, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it was like we, a, were, we, we were the ones asking questions about that. It was, it was more us asking questions about that more than them volunteering their concern about that. I mean, there, there have been a, yes, last year was a historic year of tests, like, you know, more missiles than we've ever seen. Though it was also supposed to be the year that they were going to test a new nuclear weapon and that never happened. And, you know, we, we might get into the whole, we don't, we don't actually know anything, uh, which is, I think an important thing, to discuss, but we'll, we'll get into that later. Especially this um, week specifically for, un, for reasons related, unrelated to Korea, but we can maybe talk about that at the very end. Sure. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we, we might. Um, but um, so but I'll, I'll talk about some of the, the, the threats that I think are really on their mind. Um, but, but what, but one thing that I think was telling because what what the, the thing about North Korea is that's kind of always there, and it becomes something. It kind of becomes background noise. Like you definitely have officials who are very worried about it, uh, who are concerned. But you know, we we t- we spend some time talking to some young people, and um, most of them said that um, none of them actually believe that there would ever be war, that it would never happen, that it's that's just not something that's that's going to happen. It's not something that they're worried about um, as young people. But what, after, after um, one of them said that um, another one of them kind of spoke up and, and said something else. She said, you know, I used to think that I thought that 
Um, but she said she told the story of one time when she was at school. She grew up kind of near the DMZ. And she said one time they heard gunfire and like heard like, you know, military equipment and jets and, and things like things maneuvering and, and, and things popping off. And they thought that the war had started and it hadn't. It was a military exercise. And, you know, there's, you know, this is the most militarized stretch of land around. And, and they do hold exercises there. The South Korean military does this regularly. And after she did that, she thought to herself, there is military stuff all here all the time. Why did I think the war started? Because it, it's background noise, but it's something that, that everybody there has internalized. It's something that could happen at the drop of a hat. It's it's not something that's in the front of their mind, but it's I, I think it is in the back of people's minds. Um, and, you know, that, that was also some young people, because actually, if you see polling um, there, there there is a have been a sudden and, and really aggressive uh, shift toward being pro North Korea should or sorry, South Korea should have its own nuclear deterrent. Um, this was my next it, question, actually. Yeah, was, yeah that, the, the polls are striking in terms of kind of that shift and it was something that was discussed in the most recent um you know presidential election that they had there and in in which uh the conservatives regained power but but i'll I'll say this every every official that we talked to about that that so they 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 do say that it's a non-starter that they don't actually intend to do that and um you know and the americans are not interested in putting nukes back on on the peninsula at least under this administration because that would violate a bunch of agreements that we already have and also as both you and i know there's also discussion about new sea-based nuclear deterrence anyway so um i I think that there's a an opinion among a lot of people that there's plenty of nukes moving around um the pacific and we don't need to be more but there are other people who definitely are interested in more and there is a, a, a renewed interest among South Koreans in exploring something of their own. And there, there were, I know some recent public statements by officials who said, you know, we could develop this real fast, which I think is true. I have the, the thing that I have serious doubts about with anybody is uh, this includes China as well is um, I think that producing plutonium pits and having the amount of fissile material and the knowledge and the machines ready to make them uh, Mm -hmm. is turning out to be a lot harder than people remember it being 40 and 50 years ago. Um, And I think the, 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 the the discussion around that specifically in the nuclear weapons field is going to get real weird uh, in the next couple of years. Um, I think, uh, I think some, some people in America are about to learn, uh, how hard it is to manufacture these weapons, um, and how long they've neglected that industry, but that's a tangent. And so I just imagine, like, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see them try to spin it up from the ground up. Like, where would they get the fissile material? I st- I have a lot of questions, but that's a it's, tangent. It's definitely an interesting one, but, but like I said, it, at least in our conversations with officials and even like off the record, um, I mean, maybe they're, and also maybe they're just saying that because, you know, um, they don't want Americans to believe that, but I, I, I didn't get the impression that, um, decision makers out there are 
truly that interested in that. Um, not all of them. I mean, I, I, okay, there there were a few who kind of were a bit coy in their answers and coy about that, but but I I I'll, I'll put it this way: I don't think um, I don't think that we're going to be seeing that soon. So. What then, what about the national security situation around China, Taiwan, and Japan? Yeah, yeah that those ones are, that, that I think is the big question, you know, what, and that what I was alluding to when I said, said that, you know, North Korea is definitely a thing. China, China's a complicated one for them. Um, I, I guess my first question is, do you want to know what they say publicly or privately? Well, I want to know the answer to both, but let's say publicly first. Publicly, um, China is is not an enemy. It's a valued trading partner. Um, you know, the, the new administration does take a little bit of a tougher line. That that's for sure. And like they, the the previous government was criticized for for playing a little too close with them and and not not criticizing them when they do step out of line in terms of um, humanitarian norms or. The, I guess that's the wrong word. The previous government had connections to the – that was the scandal government, right? That had the – Every government is the scandal government. The South cult Korea. scandal government. Um, Or was that the one before? I think that was actually the one before. Okay. Um, right. I, I, just so everybody remembers, I'm a reporter. I am not a, a South Korea specialist. I, you know, I, I, I just, know some things about the history, but I, 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 I don't claim to be an expert. You know, I was just curious because um, that was like one of the one of the last times that like domestic Korean politics kind of broke through in America was when uh, uh, there was the scandal around the president who was a woman that had had connections with the cult in South Korea. But, no, okay, yeah, that that, that was Park. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, da- daughter of previous uh, dictator Park Chung Hee, who we yes. might talk about a little bit, but no, there was a pre- you know President Moon's government was after that um, okay. a bit more a, a bit more of a dovish government, um, you know it, it much more pre pro conciliation with uh, the North um, and and you know a little bit more softer with China, but but I wouldn't say friendly exactly because again we're talking and you know public and private um the, the relationship with china has i think really deteriorated in some pretty big ways um you know they're, they're south koreans have been watching uh you know what happened in hong kong they've been watching kind of what's been going on in the south china sea and we'll get to why that matters uh to them i think pretty shortly um y- you know China is by far their largest trading partner, um, you know, and with, with free trade agreements and, you know, the, the 90s was when they had their economic boom and trade with China was a huge, enormous part of what made that possible. It's an enormous part of what has brought a lot of Koreans out of poverty, such as it is, that we'll also talk about maybe a bit why that's complicated, too. Um but for a long time, culturally and politically, um, you know, th- there were there were questions sometimes, but Koreans were mostly pretty pro-China in terms of it's a good relationship to have. Um, investment is good. Trade is good. We're not actively hostile with them. You know, 
nothing to worry about. But, um, you know, that was very much uh, the era of Hu Jintao. Uh, and uh, things have changed in the era of Xi Jinping, this kind of new nationalism. Um one thing that's important to remember is, you know, we, we talked a bit about why shipbuilding is important for them. And it's because with the standoff with the North, um, they, they don't really trade through their Northern border and all their other borders are ocean. Um, so they really depend on shipping being able to move freely. And, and some of this, these rumblings in the South China sea and in the Taiwan Strait. You know, if, if war breaks out in these sorts of places or China decides to, you know, really restrict navigation, that's kind of a problem because that's uh, the waterway through which a lot of these ships go and, and their ability to keep their economy going, particularly as they grow and want to trade more with Europe, uh, invest more in Africa and do more stuff in Southeast Asia. Um so freedom of navigation is is really important. And, you know, I, I was actually kind of surprised. Um, you know, they, they usually don't take hard lines on Taiwan, um, you know, and actually they, they were pretty pissed about Pelosi's visit. Um, and, um, it, and not just politicians, like uh, th- there was kind of a dip in U.S. approval in both Japan and South Korea after that visit. But it seems to have kind of leveled out since then. Um, but one, yeah, one of the things that we were told, but, uh, and on the record, no less, was that uh, the Taiwan Strait needs to stay open and free, um, and uh, that uh, Korea is willing to take steps to ensure that that stays the case. Now, that's different from necessarily endorsing Taiwanese independence. You know, it, it stays short of that, but it's definitely something that is on people's mind. Um, I, I remember we were talking to somebody, a a kind of a trade guy, um, former official. And I asked him a question about this kind of about, you know, keep keeping these sea lanes open and, you know, wouldn't it be, would it be bad if, if there was a conflict that broke out with Taiwan or, or in the South China sea or, or if there were these issues and he said, you know, that's not a, um, that's, that's, that's a, that's not a business question or trade question. That's a security question. And I said, but it would be bad for trade, wouldn't it? And he kind of paused and kind of said, you know, yeah. Um, but we just don't like talking about that. He said, you know, I, I went to business school in the nineties. That's when I got my master's degree. And, you know, I, I came up, in the time when it was all WTO, global prosperity, um, you know, it, it was that era. And he said, you know, that era is not quite, not necessarily over, but the era in which security matters for trade is, is, is here and it's now. And it's something that people don't really want to talk about because it would change everything he pointed out um the 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 crisis in the suez uh recently with uh the ever given that that ship that got lodged there and you know it it, that only lasted for a few days uh but it it caused problems for weeks and months in the global shipping industry um so even like a week or month-long confrontation in the south china sea let alone a war is going to 
have much larger implications. Um, it, like it, it would change everything. So it sounds like the the kind of prevailing mood is around security concerns. Let's just can we just keep the ships moving? Let's not rock the boat with the big boy to our west. To well, the boat. Funny, rock the yeah. boat. Yeah. Well, not. I I think that's sort of that's definitely what they say, public publicly and even privately. Um, it's but it is a little bit more complicated than that because they realize that China has been more aggressive and also China has been kind of moving into some some waters that Korea considers its own, kind of in the Yellow Sea. There there have been these kinds of things with the Chinese fishing fleet. There there have been um, you know military convoys transiting around there publicly again if you ask them they say there there isn't an issue we're working it out but yeah privately they you know privately it's you know china is a challenge they're they're, they're not going to call china an enemy because at this point china is not an enemy of, of south korea but it's it's emerged as a concern um and it's a concern not just for South Korea, but also regional countries that have claims in the South China Sea, several of which are becoming interested in buying South Korean Navy warships. Um, during RIMPAC, I toured uh, the the Philippine Navy's newest warship, and they said right away, like, you know, it's brand new, built in Korea. They were very happy with it and very proud of it. And, you know, I toured it. It's a nice ship, clean. Uh, it's got that new ship smell. Um, you know, and, and is very well built. These these are sturdy, reliable ships. There's a reason why um countries around Southeast Asia and beyond are getting interested in the South Korean defense industry. All right, Angry Planet listeners, we're gonna pause there for a break. We will be back on with Kevin O'Dell right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, Ingrid Planet listeners, welcome back. We are talking about Korea. Tell me about relationship with, relations with Japan. A lot of historical unpleasantness between the two countries, to put it mildly. Uh, that is that is that is one way to describe it. And also the kind of the beginning of their emergent Korea's um naval history, um, with the Emjin War. Um just before I get into that, like that's that's you know, we talk a lot about world world war ii and you know the occupation or well actually we should talk more about that americans don't know anything about this but uh the engine war is important because it was 
you know, a, a major naval victory for um, Korea in resisting uh, Japanese invaders uh, back in medieval times. And, and part of it was they built what they call their turtle ships, which were these kind of, it's not an ironclad because they're made out of wood, but you know, th- these were, these were kind of battleships as we would think of them today. You know, they, y- you couldn't volley them with arrows because they actually had roofs, you know, se- seems quaint, but you know, at the time it was, it was really kind of an innovation. Um, you know, the, the, these were just really sturdy, really tough ships um, that, that were able to kind of change the game on, on the sea. But yeah, um, th- there's an expression um, in Korean Korean history that uh, Korea is a ship or no, is a shrimp between whales. Um, the two whales being China and uh, Japan, and that the when the whales fight, the shrimp is crushed. Um, Japan has a long history of, you know, exerting its imperial power on on japan and yeah occupied it quite brutally um for you know the early 20th century um you know you you had um you know you know uh they 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 would draft young men and send them to fight in the pacific something that gets kind of lost um and you you can find it in the accounts of um of american service members um sometimes when they were gunning down these um japanese Troops who were trying to surrender, the ones who were trying to surrender weren't actually Japanese. Some of them were Korean conscripts. And, you know, you had uh, forced labor, uh, really brutal stuff. And the comfort women, you know, um, you, you know, really brutal sexual exploitation of um, these women that were taken by the Japanese military, both in Korea and, and moved abroad. Um, you know, we, we saw some of the protests that still go every day uh you know you'll you'll see people almost on a daily basis um protesting the japanese government and demanding more recognition of some of these crimes so it's a difficult relationship but japan is also a really important trade partner um and you know a lot of young people out there they a lot of cultural like it's it's a complicated relationship I'm going to use the word complicated so many times here, but, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, you've got anime is is popular there, just as it is uh, in the U.S. and in other places. Um, a lot of Japanese products are still valued. And, you know, with, with these mounting concerns about uh, freedom of the seas, uh, there's there still is a shift toward a uh, closer relationship between Japan's maritime self-defense force it's not navy um and uh the korean navy uh you know they're they're really trying to improve their interoperability improve relations and and the current government um is not shy about it sometimes it's been a little bit more couched but uh and public opinion does seem to be shifting a little bit toward if nothing else pragmatically recognizing that um this relationship is probably beneficial at this time um you know there there's definitely difficult memories um you know, you know there there are people who are not jazzed about seeing japan's kind of resurgent interest in building up a military and uh reassessing its past its kind of historic pacifist post-war 
foreign policy. Not everybody's excited about it, but at the same time, um, with this interest in keeping uh, sea lanes open and wanting to have allies and wanting to have enough muscle to kind of keep that, maintain this status quo, um, that relationship, I think, is evolving. Is there a sense that sometimes you have to pick a whale? Yeah, I think so. And uh, I mean, and now now America is kind of one of those two. Uh, you know, it's it's. I, I think there is that sense, but but I mean, there there also is the sense that uh, they they want to build up their own capacity, and it's why they've built up um, their navy and and continue to build it up. Why they're pursuing. They they want to have their own aircraft carrier eventually. Uh, they want to have more submarines. Um, they they also want to be a power in their own right, and and already I think perceive themselves to be. You know, they went from being kind of a basket case dictatorship that democratized in the '90s, and it's now the world's tenth largest economy. Uh, now now is a major donator of aid to other countries around the world uh, and, are, and are quite proud of that uh, being involved in development uh, projects. And, and I would say, you know, in talking to people there, they, they, you know, they, they're in the young democracy phase. So I, I think, I think they're starting to adopt, they're, they're starting to be some cynicism in other ways, but, you know, in terms of Korea's role in the world, there's, there's still a lot of pride, I think, in, in, the way that they're engaging with other countries um, and also other countries around the world, mostly view South Korea favorably. Um, you know, Korean products are there. There's a growing awareness of how much Korean products they use. The products are mostly good products. Um, th- there it's not are only that the, the soft power is exploding too, right? Pop culturally, like <laughs> yes. K-pop, K-pop fans. I, 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 I was gonna I was gonna pivot to that um, shortly um, as I got done talking about aid, but yeah, um, it, yeah. In addition to the aid and investment, de- definitely um, K-pop is huge. Um, K dramas are huge, um, and, and it's definitely something that is a point. It's a point of pride for some people, but I, I do think it is interesting, um, and I'll talk about that in, in a second. Um, I guess I could just talk about it right now. Um, tell, describe our cyberpunk present for us through the, right. um, cause, through cause, the yeah, lens of Korea. Yeah, because well, because yeah, let, let me tell you, uh, Korea pretty cyberpunk. Um, Parasite and Squid Game have been, you, you know, them being international phenomenons, and and I've heard them as being evidence of um, Korea's relevance globally, but neither of these are things that are about how good Korea is. In fact, both of those cultural artifacts are, are, are about discontent of Koreans with, with Korea as it exists right now. Um, I'm also picking back up on a show that I started watching on the plane ride over there called signal, which also has a lot to say about corruption, about classism and about how, the rich have everything and the poor have nothing. Now the poor, the poor are not destitute in South Korea like they once were, but uh, th- there, there's a glaring inequality gap. So it is, I think interesting that we 
tout that and and that some and that some kind of Korean officials tout these things as proof of their success when the art itself is hypercritical explicit, of, of, of systems of power. Yeah, <laughs> explicitly explicitly calling out some of these same officials. It, it is very interesting to me, and actually, I, I mentioned that um, in one of the articles I wrote, and. Um, one Korean diplomat who talked to me about the article kind of blew past that and said that it was great that I mentioned all of that. But privately, one of them said, I'm really glad that you mentioned um, that about <laughs> about Squid Game and Parasite, because it is kind of weird that we talk about it that way. <laughs> it's kind of funny, right, that um, it, the, the, all through this conversation, I'm catching this air of um, – Everyone wants to keep globalism and to a certain extent, like the nineties going. Uh, but there is an air that there's discontent. Um, and everyone is looking internally a little bit, starting to batten down the hatches is getting mm-hmm. ready for what they assume is coming next. And no one's quite sure what that is. Uh, right. Uh, and that, that, that is kind of, and, um, and to be clear, I mean, there's, I, I, I've talked to a few, um, you know, military folks uh, with, with the Korean military too. Um, I, definitely, the the impression that you get is that they're not interested in having a war. Um, you know, every once in a while, you know, the, a, a, any good military professional is is at least curious about how well they'll do. Um, curious what their new equipment can do. Um, the one thing, and it's it's one of the reasons why. Um, the American, the U.S. Navy, and actually other navies are are interested in working with the Korean Navy. And this was something actually that um, Admiral Samuel Paparo, the commander of the Pacific Fleet, told me uh, was that uh, he really respects how experienced they are. And you don't really think about this as much, but most navies in the world today, you know, post like post like the Korean War, actually have not really been involved in much ship to ship fighting. Um, the Korean Navy currently is actually one of the only navies that has um, not, not in major ones, but in its skirmishes with the North, um, even into this century, um, they have experience being in a standoff with a, pa- with, with, with an actual enemy. You know, we've had our, kind of confrontations with China, which, you know, is a rival. And we, we, we start, so, sometimes we're using adversary now, but but we haven't fought the Chinese in a very long time and have an active trading relationship with China. Um, we, North and South Korea have, have sank each other's ships um, in the not distant past um, and, and have, had had to kind of conduct these operations. So they, they, they do, I think have an appreciation for also Seoul is a very modern city. And part of the reason why everything is so modern and everything is so new is old Seoul was kind of decimated and destroyed there. There's not a lot of lot left of what Seoul looked like before the Korean war. Um, and I think that that memory is still alive. And I, I think that there is still, enough people out there who have a memory of how bad things can get. And, you know, you know, they, they want to invest in their ability to, to participate in a war 
or to like defend their own interests should war come to them. But I don't detect an eagerness. Um, they, they really, I think, see uh, military tools as, as about deterrence. Um, they, they do not have enthusiasm for, for fighting a war anytime soon. So kind of on that note, can you talk more about why we're bad in America? Like we fought a long bloody war that like a hero from world war two got fired. Uh, people were talking about using tactical nuclear weapons, nuclear weapons were moved around. Um, it was a horrifying war. Like we like the term brainwashing got went into popular parlance in America. Uh, but it's forgotten. Literally it's called the forgotten war. I don't remember really learning about it in, in like school at all. Um, all of my knowledge of it has come kind of after the fact. Why do you think there's no cultural memory in America of relations between North and South Korea and the Korean War? Yeah, it's it's kind of bizarre, right? Um, I, I, I've definitely thought about this. Um, you know, um, I, it became a big part of my uh, college academic career because I, I wrote a bit about um, the U.S. relationship with Korea. And, and um, I had a personal reason for doing that. Uh, my grandfather served in Korea, but interestingly, he did not actually serve during the Korean War. He served there in 1945. Um, he, he was one of the U.S. soldiers who arrived in Korea to process Japanese prisoners and, and to do kind of post-World War II duties, which is a period of time that we completely gloss over also. It's actually kind of bizarre to me because, like, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, we, we teach kids and I don't expect people to know everything. I, I you know, I, I'm not insane in that way. You know, some people who get into history, they're like, you know, I, People need to know all the details of this. And no, no, people don't need to know all the minutia of all the details of everything that happens, or they don't need to know everything about your pet issue. But that being said, it is given how much of a trading partner and given kind of our cultural connection, you know, huge Korean communities in, um, you know, Los Angeles and, you know, up and down um, the Western seaboard, um, you know, huge trade relationships and the fact that we fought this bloody war there and, um, and shaped, you know, the country. It's crazy to me that we don't really talk about it at all. Cause we, we talk, I think I remember learning about, um, the occupation of Japan and about the splitting up of East and West Germany and how that happened. Not all the details, but, you know, cliff notes, you know, you, 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 right. you, you get an, an, enough that you kind of know that that happened. Um, but when it comes to the Korean War, I do remember learning a little bit about it, but it kind of like and then this happened. But they don't explain how our interest started there or about how the U.S. and, and that, you know, we, we talk about how the U.S. and the Soviets split up East and West Germany. But we don't talk about what happened on the Korean Peninsula and how the 38th parallel was drawn um, at all. It just becomes – and then this happened, and uh, we fought a 
three-year war there. It, it, it was a kind of big deal. And then we kind of moved past that so we can get to the civil rights movement and talk about Vietnam. And we just really blow past this Korea thing. And it actually does seem irresponsible. Because, um, yeah, it's one of the closest relationships that we have uh, is with this country. Um, and even today, I think people realize that it's, when we had our roundtable, um, the the trip that we had, you know, the the American journalists had a roundtable in Hawaii with the Korean journalists um, when we both uh, returned from our respective capitals. Um, I remember that um, there was one of the Korean journalists kind of brought up concern that there were some polls that Americans said that if North Korea were to invade South Korea, they, they wouldn't care about rendering military aid. Um, but what I told them about that is the polls might say that now, but if it actually happened, I think the polls would change because like public and, you just, and I, I kind of draw the connection with what happened with uh, Ukraine. Um, but e- even more so, you know, you have huge Korean American population centers in Los Angeles. You have, Korean American celebrities, you know, you, you have, you have Glenn from the walking dead, which, you know, like I, I say that, but like, that's white people love the walking dead. And Glenn was one of the favorite characters in that show. So white people love Koreans. I'll, I'll just put it that way. That's simplistic, but you know, it Korean culture is visible to Americans much more now than it has been, but it it's, it's kind of building on something that's been here for a long time like that relationship is established and it's, it's a big one. It, I, I don't know how much it gets reflected in kind of um, East coast DC media. Cause it's, you know, a, a much more, it is kind of a more West coast relationship. I think as somebody who grew up West coast, um, I see it a little bit more had, had friends growing up who were Korean American and also anybody who's grown up by a military base will have met at least one half Korean kid for you know reasons um i I don't know i'm kind of rambling on uh, at this point but there was mash during the oh yeah there was mash that's true but mash was the most popular shows of yeah i was gonna say but mash was it was no 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 but people i think that's a subtlety that not everybody understood oh exactly well exactly Right, they kind of. I mean, when I was a kid, I assumed that, the, uh, and I didn't know any better. My dad watched Match all the time. Mm-hmm. I assumed that we were in Vietnam, and that is what I was watching. Right. Yeah, a lot of yeah, people. I, I think didn't. Yeah, I mean, it's it. You know, it's television. Not everybody engages it super closely, but uh, right. but no, I mean, yeah, lost my train of thought as I've done so many times. It's it's more it's morning on the edge of the empire here. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, thinking about the 4077 now and the opening theme song. Yeah. but well, I was but just I mean, in that part of California, you know, where the hills are actually the hills where they flew the helicopters over. Mm-hmm. And it. I just think I'm in Korea every time I drive through there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And um, it, it's – but no, it, it is, I think, really – but that brings it back to I think it's weird that um, – maybe not – super weird but yeah american i don't think education it, and american attention has been very eurocentric even though a lot of 
our policy and also a lot of our relationships. And again, this might be an East Coast, West Coast separation. But, you know, people people who live in West Coast states tend to be um, a little bit more aware of America's relationship with Asia, both because that's where immigrants got off the boat and where a lot of the companies that we trade with um, you know, the, the ports up and down the West Coast and and out here in Hawaii, it, you know, Asia is very visible. And it's it's very evident that while, you know, uh, America has its European roots, it's also um, a Pacific country. Um, it, it's, it, 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 you know, and we, we've got, you know, our, our island territories and all of that. A lot, a lot of complicated history with that. But it, it, but it, it's shocking to me, really, when when I look back and think about that, how little anyone bothered to formally teach us. I did a lot of informal reading because I was a nerd, but it I, wasn't part of the curriculum. I think it's because it doesn't fit into America's self-conception of itself in the 1950s. It is a bad I, thing that started off the greatest decade in American history, right? It's kind of that, like, the the older generation's... I think what what their idea of it is, I think like the greatest pop culture hero of the Korean war uh, in modern, in the modern American mythos is uh, a guy that stole someone's identity after he died on the front line. And wow. then, and then like Draper. Tur- yeah, exactly. And yes. then turned himself into an advertising executive and is kind of this villain is too strong a word, but like, is part is like one of the darker aspects of uh, American life is a figure like Don Draper. Um, and he's born out of the Korean war. Like that, that is kind of our relationship to it. now, I think uh, is that it, it was this, it was this terrible event that kickstarted uh, this wonderful decade, this decade that people say is wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. But we all know is much more complicated than that. And that uh, we don't, uh, other than that, we don't want to think about it. I think that that may, I think there's definitely truth to that. Um, but. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, overall though, I, I think my main point though, is I, I, it's probably something that Americans should pay a little bit more attention to. Um, oh, I, I, I know, I know where we should end up. All right. Um, Take me there. North North Korea and why we don't know anything about it. Yeah. Why don't, why don't we, especially like you would think that people in South Korea know more about North Korea than they actually do. Right. Was kind of your sense. Um, yeah, I think and that, that came up, um, in our last, in, in our, our meeting was that, you know, getting a sense of what's actually going on there is very, very difficult. Um, you know, you have uh, the defectors who can give you a sense of how things are, but the, the defectors are also people that South Korean media have to have to treat with some skepticism sometimes. Um, They're you, the people that didn't like it. If they liked it, they would have stayed. Right. Like but definition. I mean, that's, that's not that's not all. That's not all of it. Like some, sometimes they, they get sucked into interesting politics and also. Yeah, there, there are incentives to say certain things, but it's not the issue of whether whether maybe things are actually perfectly OK up there. Um, I don't think anybody's I mean, o- other than the most ardently, you know, 
contrarian academics, most people are not going to make that case. It's it's a locked down authoritarian society. And um, what what little we do know for sure is is pretty terrifying. Um, Jason, I can't hear you. Why? Why? Why do I do that? Anyway. All right. Just a very, very brief aside. Uh, I actually know someone who defected to North Korea, who was my Wait, age. Defected Mark. to? Yes, indeed. Sorry. Oh, oh boy, we're we're in for a story. Yes. No, I mean he was. Uh, he liked his name was Mark Green. He. Uh, you knew Mark Green. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if it's the same Mark Green, but uh, yeah. So this guy, he. Went through college, like learned the classics, whatever, but like was always sneaking around with guns and just loved North Korea. And eventually he left uh, a friend of mine who was his girlfriend and moved. And as far as I know, he was there for at least five years. I think I'm remembering the same guy. I don't know. Well, yeah, there, there have definitely been a few high profile defectors. I mean, it, by definition, anybody who decides to move there becomes one of the high profile because there are not many of them. <laughs> not a lot. Um, yeah, not a lot of not people lot. choose to do that. Um, but, 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 but in bringing it back to because, because a lot of people, even that we were talking to, you, you assume that, that, um, the South Koreans will know more, but that's not necessarily true. I mean, definitely they're, they they can speak the language better, but that's actually also a little bit weird because the dialects are, are different. And, you know, they, they speak in North Korea, a version of Korean that kind of existed, you know, before the splits and, you know, they, they've been culturally isolated. Uh, The language has, shifted and evolved in South Korea. And so the, the way that they speak to one another is actually not the same. Um, it's kind of like if you were to bring somebody, you know, we, we just talked about the fifties, like take it, take somebody directly from the 1950s and try talking to them today and, and see how well you would communicate. You would struggle. I think um, language evolves and language changes. And, you know, they, they even struggle on that way. But also, you know, we, we talked earlier about uh, how last year there was just an outrageous amount of missiles uh, fired from North Korea and how seemingly everybody was sure that there was going to be a nuclear test. The question wasn't if, mostly when we were talking to people, it, it, it was rather when they're going to do it. Um, are they going to do it before or after Xi Jinping does his um, his party conference? Is it going to be you know, like, but it was like, it's going to happen this year. And it didn't. It, it just didn't happen. Because um, you can, it's just such a closed society. You you can really hardly know. Um, any journalist that goes up there, they're on what we can nicely call the guided tour. Um, a nice Potemkin tour of yeah. North Korea. But also something that was interesting that came up in our, our conference was actually the way that even American media can sometimes shape, you know, uh, yeah, we, we've talked about um, 
South Korea's cultural power and growing cultural power and imprint on the global stage. But to this point, um, I, I think it's indisputable that nobody's cultural power rivals the United States at this point. I think that's still true. There, there are things about that that are changing, but that's still the truth. Um, and nothing I think better illustrates this than when we talked about, uh, do you remember um, not too long ago when uh, Kim Jong-un died? Remember that? Sure. That, that media story? You know, he, he, he'd had a heart attack or something and died. Um, so they talked about when, um, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to say which one, cause I, I, I don't entirely remember, but, but a, a few American outlets started going with that. Like, like American media did report that citing like, like high level sources. Um, and one of the Korean journalists talked about how one of their editors brought that to them. They said, Hey, the Americans are reporting this. We we got to run with it now, like like you know they say that they've confirmed it with top officials, but like like this is it he he's gone he's dead, so they went ahead and went with it and it, as we know um not dead, um so it, it it it's really guesswork when we try to figure out what that regime is doing what it wants and 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 how it interacts with the world. I think that is a beautiful place to end on. Kevin Nodell, thank you so much for coming onto the show and walking us through this. That's all for this week, Angry Planet listeners. As always, Angry Planet is me, Matthew Galt, Jason Fields, and Kevin Nodell is created by myself and Jason Fields. If you like us, if you really like us, why angryplanet.substack.com or angryplanetpod.com. Give us $9 a month. You get commercial-free versions of the mainline episodes, and you get them early. You also get our uh, weekly newsletter, where uh, I'm breaking down... The, uh, the the geopolitical events of the past week. Uh, you can see what I have to say about the Chinese balloon in our most uh, recent dispatch. Uh, the vibes are bad. It's kind of the short version. Um, lots of lots of balloons. This is the first one we've shot down. Well, I guess as I'm recording this at 3.40 on February uh, 10th, uh, the second one that we've shot down that we know about uh, anyway, I'm sure there'll be more about that uh, in the next dispatch, which you can read on Monday at angryplanet.substack.com if you're giving us that $9 a month. We will be back next week with another conversation about conflict on an angry planet. Stay safe until then. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.